turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 1. Job chapter 1. The last time we dealt with verse 1. Uh, here we're going to pick up from there and deal with verses 2 through 5. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, and one that feared God, and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance also was seven thousand sheep, and three thousand camels, and five hundred yoke of oxen, five hundred she-asses, and a very great household, so that this man was the greatest of all the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so, when the days of their feasting were gone about, that Job sent and sanctified them, and rose up early in the morning, and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned, and cursed God in their hearts, Thus did Job continually. So, picking up from where we left off last time, we discussed verse 1 and discussed uh, these graces of God that were given to Job. Uh, he was a man that was perfect or blameless. He was upright, that is, he was, he was righteous before God. He was one that feared God and eschewed evil. So we, we, we see faith and repentance there. And we were speaking last time about this idea that these are things that are sufficient. And the book is going to deal with the sufficiency of the grace of God that was given to Job. And that is outlined in verse 1. So we go from the primary spiritual blessings graced to Job to the secondary personal blessings enjoyed by Job. We didn't, we're not going to approach this topic in a prosperity gospel perspective. That this is normative, verses 2 through 5, that these are normative things um, uh, that... All who name the name of the Lord will experience. What is normative is our experience to one degree or another of the love of our God. The grace of verse 1. Sanctification, justification, faith, and repentance. That grace that will prove sufficient is common to all believers. If you can find yourself in the common salvation of verse 1, that is no guarantee that God will sovereignly give the secondary blessings of riches and family and success and commerce and all these other things. We do recognize that all that we have and enjoy was given to us by God. God dispenses his gifts as he pleases. And God was pleased to add worldly blessings, these secondary blessings, on Job, and was pleased to allow those things to prosper for his own glory. And this isn't the only person in the scriptures he's done this with. Abraham, Joseph of Arimathea, 
And the opposite could be said of righteous men that were spoken of, many of them who were like Lazarus in the parable of Dives, who sat at the gate full of sores. God dispenses his gifts as he pleases. And he was pleased to add these to Job. He, in his sovereignty, gave some five talents. In the same sovereignty, gave some just one. But like Job, we are all responsible to give glory to God in these things. All of his servants receive from him and are stewards over that which he does give them and are purposed to glorify him with it. And Job's faithful stewardship of these things is also going to be judged in a trial of his friends. He is going to continuously be accused of not being faithful in his stewardship. And like his was judged, so will ours, but ours will be judged by the God over all. There's an important dichotomy also here to highlight. Between things that can be shaken and the things that cannot, Job will maintain his integrity, that which comes from the sufficient grace of verse 1, But Job will say of the rest, after he's lost all these things in verses 2 through 5, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. In other words, the grace of verse 1 was unchanged while the things in verses 2 through 4 changed. Our faith and repentance granted to us by God and his accounting of us as righteous is that which is unshakable. The rest is not. I think of Jonah in Jonah chapter 4, where God caused a gourd to grow up to give him shade, and the very next day sent a worm to kill it. God graced Job with family, with substance, with servants, with position, and even with a ministry. God also took those things away. There was a difference then in what Job was by the grace of God versus what he had by the grace of God. What we have by the grace of God is for us to enjoy and use for his glory in this life. These gifts from are also from the Father of lights and are not promised permanency in this life. They are nonetheless tokens of his grace to us. They are common to all men. But to those who see God's loving favor behind them, there are reasons for thankfulness. I'm reminded of what Dostoevsky said. He that loves man loves man's happiness. He graces us. He gives us abundantly, richly things to enjoy. Consider these blessings then, and and also consider as we look at them, a limited view of the righteous man's response to them. First, consider then the blessings. There's the blessing of children. 
And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. Now there are people that will look at these numbers and say, well, they're, they're figurative numbers, so this must not be actual history. Um, just because you run into nice round numbers like 7, 3, and 5 in the Bible doesn't mean you need to spiritualize them every time you find them. They are numbers that inhere in, in to some form of completion. And while we don't set aside the meaning of numbers, we do not say that while these numbers are prevalent, 7, 3, 5, 7,000 sheep, five, uh, 3,000 3, camels, so on and so forth, that we that this takes it out of the room, uh, out of the role of historical and places it into the realm of the figurative. This story is told to us in real space and in real time. Job had sons and daughters. He had seven sons, three daughters. He had a fullness of them. The shutting and the opening of the womb is from the Lord. Just because the womb has been closed does not denote God's disfavor, but it can, like Abimelech in Genesis 20:18, and all the people under his rule, the wombs were shut. But the opening of the womb is a blessing. Numbers 5:29. To be made a father is a blessing. Abram, that's what the word Abram means, a father of people. But to be the father of many is an even greater blessing. Abraham, the father of many. Children are a blessing from the Lord. And that seems odd in a culture that has made a God out of wealth and pleasure and has despised the blessing of children. The most in children anybody wants is 1.2 with a picket fence and so on and so forth. Nothing to really kind of bother, and ter- bother or cause turmoil in the rest of life. Children are seen as liabilities in our godless culture, unwanted consequence, burdens, and barriers to the things that people really want. But that's not how the scriptures talk about children. The biblical mandate is to multiply and fill the earth, and God blesses obedience there. Consider the words of Psalm 127, where it says, Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with the enemies in the gate. Children are a blessing. And while we don't know much about the children here of Job, they're going to be a means of glorifying God in Job's life, and they already are. We don't know their names, and we know little information about them. We're going to see some here in a minute. But we do know these children were the chief among the secondary blessings in the life of Job. And they gave to him a sacred trust as well that will be described in verse 5. But we'll speak about that shortly. Let's go on. God gave Job children, and God gave him substance. As we continue to read in verse 3, his substance also was 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 5, yoke, 500 rather, yoke of oxen and 500 she-asses and a very great household. So, verse 2 opened with a consecutive imperfect verb. This one continues the, the, the consecutive, uh, with another consecutive imperfect where it's added to the blessings that are already being named. He had children, and now added to that, livestock and servants. God blessed him, in other words, with 
private property. And this is very contrary to the reading of a of a of of someone trying to put a Marxist interpretation to this text. Private property here is called a blessing. With this livestock is the idea of him being a of a being a great man in land ownership and in commerce from the produce of that ownership. We see that inherently in what he owns. He had 7,000 sheep. What were they doing? They were producing wool. He had 3,000 camels. What were they doing? They were carrying goods from his land to the markets far off. He had 500 yoke of oxen. A yoke, by the way, is a team or a pair of oxen. So he had 1,000 oxen. And a yoke of oxen indicates what amount of land could be worked in any given day. And they worked a huge swath of land here. A, a team of oxen back in that day were able to work a acre of land. 500 yoke of oxen therefore can work 500 acres of land in one day. So he must have had land that far surpassed that. And this land was doing what? With a yoke of oxen. Producing and carrying ground, grain to the surrounding regions. He had 500 female donkeys. What were these for? Lots of things. Travel, commerce, mobility of servants and family, milk, and all other kinds of practical uses. It was a busy place. And all of this required what's said in the text. A great household of servants to employ in the working of the land, the management of the commerce, the management of many daily affairs. He had countless servants, which he fed and employed in his business. And as such, Job was, according to a third consecutive imperfect, added another blessing, the greatest of all the men of the East. So he was given children, possessions, and now he's given position. There is an emphasis placed on Job here. It's that man. That man that God marked out to give his grace to. That man was raised up by God. There's the idea of causation. God blessed him with possessions and commerce so that he became great. Then there is the superlative. And then the Hebrew, it's the adjective great, gadol, with the preposition men, which means from, and the adverb all. In other words, greatest of all. The sons, literally, the sons of the East. There's a small clue, then, about the origin of the book. We're always going back and trying to talk a little bit about it. Uh, Benson pointed out that Grotius and others observed that the phraseology here used is an argument that the book must have been written by some Israelite or inhabitant of the land of Canaan, Job's country lying eastward from thence. That's speculative, though. But it would seem that it was received by the Hebrews after Abraham began to sojourn in the land of promise. It also places Job in what is considered the east, which in biblical language would be Arabia, Chaldea, and others in that area. Setting aside the demographics, though, what do we see here? God delighted in exalting his faithful his humble, penitent servant. 
and God delights to reward the faithful steward and the diligent righteous man. The diligent man shall be made fat. The diligent man will increase. God will increase. Proverbs 10.4, Proverbs 13.4. The blessings of Job flowed to the joy of those that were under his care. It goes on in verse 4. And his sons went and feasted in their houses, every one his day, and sent and called for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Here we have a break of the, of the initial sequence of consecutive imperfects, and we're introduced to the practical effects of the blessings with perfect verbs in the Hebrew. So his sons went and they feasted. It appears to describe a repeated customary events. The sons of Job had apparently began to build their own houses, and, value, and they still valued the fellowship of one another. John Gill pointed out, it appears by this, that Job's sons were grown up to men's estate, that they were from him and were for themselves and carried on separate business on their own accounts and had houses of their own and perhaps were married. We're not sure if they're married yet, but they sure appeared to be launching off into their own. The righteousness of their father's pro, uh, father produced a spirit of peace in them and brotherly love. So, on his appointed day, they went one to another and provided a banquet or a feast. Now, the word feast is the, from the verb to drink, but also to drink with is the idea Fellowship is the thrust of this part of the narrative. Many have implied that the appointed days here are birthday celebrations. It's kind of like Genesis 21.8, the celebration of the weaning of Isaac by Abraham. And in the third chapter, Job seems to indicate a regular observation of his birthday as well. And uh, that's problematic for those <laughs> cults out there that say birthdays are not <laughs> something that righteous people should do. Like the Jehovah's Witnesses here, we have a righteous people celebrating birthdays. These could also be, admittedly, festival celebrations, new moons, or other points of time. But the construction, his day, a day particular to each particular son, and the context of Job himself recognizing and marking his own birthday in chapter 3, verse 1, make the birthday hypothesis more likely. However, what the appointed day was was far less important than what they contained. They enjoyed the blessing, the blessings rather, of their father's prosperity and likely their own diligent labors. And what did they do? They wanted to share it with one another. And each one on his appointed day would also sin for their sisters, who were, at this point, yet without houses of their own. And they wanted to eat and drink, two infinitives that describe the purpose of the banquet. And called, they called them to this fellowship. Barnes pointed out, this also may be regarded as a circumstance showing that these occasions were not designed for revelry. Young men, when they are congregate for dissipation, 
do not usually invite their sisters to be with them, nor do they usually desire the presence of virtuous females at all. The probability, therefore, is that this was designed as affectionate and friendly family conversation. Barnes, I agree with Barnes here. What is being described is loving familial fellowship in the bond of peace and not drunkenness and revelry. Job knew of no sin in the following verse, and in his piety he allowed this to occur, occur by sending his daughters. There is a picture here of the brotherly kindness of early Christians who broke bread together often in their love feast. It is a peek into the righteous felicity that was produced by Job in his family. Sinfulness never can produce such in a family. So there are blessings of Job. There is a result of the blessings of Job on those that followed him. And then there is the righteous ministry which the blessings of God gave to Job. Verse 5. And it was so... When the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. With every blessing comes responsibility. The garden comes with a duty to dress and keep it. The family comes with the responsibility to nurture and admonish the children that are produced. God gave Job a ministry, and it's the first ministry of any man. He was the priest of his home, representing his family to God and representing his God to his family. Like Noah and Abraham, he was a priest for all that were under him, Genesis 8.20, Genesis 12.7 and 8. It is surmise that the book of Job is the preparation of God in making a faithful man who is a priest of his household to a faithful man who is a priest for his people. The first chapter sees Job offering sacrifices on behalf of his children, and the last chapter has him offering sacrifices to God for his friends. The man who rules his own house well is able to take care of the church of God, 1 Timothy 3.4. Here, he knows the folly of sin, Job, that is, he knows the folly of sin, and stands before God for his children, interceding that they might not fall into sin. A temporal adverbial phrase gives us the occasion for this intercession. So, when the days of their feasting commenced, or maybe all the while they were feasting, he saw the danger that could be. So while they were sending one for another for fellowship and their plentiful tables were being set, he sent and sacrificed two consecutive and perfect verbs, them. He set them apart before God in his intercessions. He was praying and praying earnestly and offering sacrifices to God that God might work in his children's lives. Then we see the manner in which he did this with a subordinate clause. With two hithil perfect verbs, he rose up and offered. This idea that he was that 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 this stirred in him something. It stirred in him the need to rise up and the need to offer to God. 
He rose up early in the morning. David would pick this up in Psalm 5.3. Early will I seek you, O God. It was his priority. Before the sun even rose, he was preparing sacrifices for God on behalf of his children. And he offered whole burnt offerings. The word hola, that's not, that's not hello in Spanish. That's whole burnt offering in Hebrew, hola. We, later, the, the word which we get in Greek from the Greek language was based upon the same thing where we get the word holocaust. He was offering whole burnt offerings. He was giving of his substance as a sacrifice unto his Lord. Behold here the priestly patriarch ruling by standing before God on behalf of his family. This is what righteousness looks like when it's lived out. He gave from his substance according to the number of each of his children, seeking God on their behalf. Benson said this, his zeal for God's glory and his love to his children made him jealous, for which he had sufficient cause from the corruption of human nature, the frailty and folly of youth, and many temptations which attend feasting and men's proneness to slide from lawful to forbidden delights. So there's this purpose clause is given to, this, to describe this intercession. Job reasoned with the enjoyment that with the enjoyment and prosperity comes this danger of forgetting God. Deuteronomy 6 talks about the need to teach our children, the need to put the law before them. And what does it say as a reason? Lest when you have houses, when you have lands, when you have all these blessings, you forget your God. Deuteronomy 6, 10 through 13. His greatest concern for his family is that they are right with God. What is the greatest concern for your family? There's this odd use of the word barak here, which means to bless. Here, in context, demands that we use it as, a, as meaning to curse. It's been thought by some that since God is the referent, referent to it, that uh, the, the words like aurora and others that would mean cursing was not used. It's a perfect verb, pl, which means it's intensive, but here it takes on the meaning of greeting while departing. Like saying adieu, see you later. Taking leave of someone. The wicked bless God in the same construction in Psalm 10.3, where the wicked depart from their God. Benson again states that it denotes what a man wishes or calls for, and here, instead of Instead of salvation, it's perdition. And that's what Job feared. He feared that they would depart from God. I have a lot of fears for my kids. I'm afraid that I'm afraid of things that are that are not always spiritual things, but my greatest fear is that they'll depart from their God. And that's a righteous thing, I believe, that God has put in my heart to fear and to seek such felicity upon my kids. And here we see it in Job. So this he did continually, it says, or rather all through the days of their feasting. And what follows is God's pleasure in the fruit of this grace. 
And so it is that we should, like Job, rejoice in the secondary blessings that God has given us, and He's given each and every one of us many of them. And go about to glorify our God in the stewardship of them. And we see that stewardship being played out here in the life of Job. He's our example here. So let us consider, these. there are the, these things that we have that are unshaken. There's these things that God gave Job that were unshakable in verse 1. And then there's all these secondary things, and they're wonderful things, and they're wonderful things indeed, and they give us ministry and opportunity to glorify our God. But they can be shaken. Our life is so much, is so much more. Let us be faithful in these things that God has given us as well, as Job was. Lord bless.